Welcome back to the show, guys. This is a special show. One of the I'm really excited to bring to you guys a special guest. Me too. Uh, a friend. We've known each other for a long time, dating back to the high school days. He has worked in tech for a long time, has established himself. I'm going to let him introduce himself. Please welcome to the show, Chike Ukebu. Uh, thank you for having me. I <clears throat> um, also have Ashley, the one and only Ash Lady Ashley. <laughs> Hello. All right. So without further ado, let's get right to the chase. Um, GK, tell us a little bit about what you've done um, leading up to today. What, as far as uh, I know that you're you are heavily involved in in uh, a number not-for-profit organization. You also are heavily involved in diversity and inclusion as related to the tech space. So tell us a little bit, a quick summary about what you've, what got you to this place. All right, so um, background, Chike, Chike Kim. Um, background is in biomedical engineering, um, but as a student, uh, going to a fellowship, Colin Powell Fellowship, and focused on disconnection. <clears throat> uh, that experience led to the co-founding of a nonprofit called Relife, um, whose mission was to empower at-risk and disconnected youth through education, technology, and entrepreneurship. I uh, did that for a couple of years uh, before um, launching the first diversity-focused tech accelerator in New York City called Startup 52. And Startup 52, um, <clears throat> at Startup 52, our mission pretty much is to create better access to resources and capital for founders from what we call untapped communities. So women, people of color, uh, immigrants, veterans, and so on and so forth. We usually say, if you feel like you don't belong, you belong with us. I uh, did that for a couple of years, uh, well, still doing that, and, uh, last year at some point, uh, jumped into the race, uh, uh, presidential race in Nigeria. Wow, amazing. Whoa, oh my God. <laughs> that has to take a lot of nerve. I mean, I remember the day you made that phone call and you told me that you were jumping into the um, presidential elections in Nigeria, of all places. What made you decide to do that? Um, hmm, long story. So technically, I was in Nigeria in 2015, uh, right before the the elections, before the last one, right? Mm -hmm. Elections in 2014. And uh, at that point, I was actually quite disappointed that the, the main opposition candidate was a 72-year-old man who had been... Um, a dictator, mm -hmm. you know, um, in fact, the year I was born, the year we were born, 1983, yeah, you know, the current president, you know, was the head of state that year, and it didn't make sense. So I had decided that for the next one, um, you know, it was important to get involved. However, though, I was not thinking about going to run for president, right? So my initial thoughts were, 
you know, find the best candidate and uh, help them build out the tech platform for the nation. So did that from 2017, I started working on the platform. Um, Because that was actually when we also started looking at different candidates. Um, Early 2018, I found one that I thought, okay, you know, uh, makes a lot of sense compared to all the people who were running then. Uh, I was a professor here, a former, you know, deputy governor of the Central Bank of Nigeria. Was the only one who mentioned anything about venture capital, even though at the point, I didn't, at the time, I didn't think um, that his his use for the venture capital was what it was supposed to be for. But I'm like, okay, this is a person who's making more sense. So I reached out to his camp and uh, got no response. Um, then in April, um, I was in uh, DC. I've been invited to speak at the US Niger Investment Summit and ran into um, a young gentleman from Nigeria who came with a delegation. Um, you know, one of those chance meetings, you get to meet a lot of people mm-hmm. at events like this. And when I got back to New York, he had sent a message, hey, you know, I'd love to meet with you before we head back to Nigeria. I'm like, sure. So we met up, it was him, myself, and a couple other Nigerians, uh, Nigerian friends of, uh, of mine. Um, and during that conversation, you know, it was like, well, you know, I think you should come around for president. <laughs> I'm like, really? Yo, dude, I'm not even sure I, um, I'm qualified. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure I know what it takes. And, all that. and it's like, you know, I think you are. The only thing is um, there was a bill going through the National Assembly. So, right. I remember that bill. Yeah, the Nottingham to run bill at the time. And so give was, us a little bit about, so what, what's made that bill or what inspired that bill? Um, so the Not Too Young to Run bill is actually a bill a lot of uh, young people in Nigeria had been clamoring okay. for, right? It was a bill that was supposed to reduce the age requirement because prior to last year, you had to be at least 40 years to run for president. Oh. And I think 35 to run for Senate, and for governor, and for a bunch of other positions. Um, and the the argument then was, well, for a nation whose average age is 18, mm-hmm. there's a significant number of young yeah. people, right? Uh, it was important to get more young people involved in politics. And the only mm-hmm. way to do that, or one way to do that, was to lower the age requirement. Um, now, a president uh, in 2017 had gone to London and had called Nigerian youths lazy, mm-hmm. right? Um, so that sort of became a bargaining chip for us, for young people. I can't say for us because I wasn't part of the people who fought for it, right? Mm. Uh, but young people were like, well, you know, you now have to do this. Um, so and you know, election year, people make a lot of concessions during election year, um, in order to help, you know, shore up support. So he signed the bill. It went through the House of Rep, it went through the Senate, and the president, of course, um, signed the bill into law, lowering the age. Um, That bill was signed May 31st, 2018. Mm -hmm. Um, I turned 35 June 12th. And at that point, I was not qualified to run. 
Uh, so June 28, I announced my candidacy, and as they say, the rest is history. This is the part that I don't understand now. I find a little bit complex. Um, being Given the history of Nigeria, where we are, considering that the current president was at one point a military di dictator mm -hmm. when we were we were not even born. The year we were born. Okay, so, <laughs> yeah. and then several years later, he's an elected president, a sitting president. Mm -hmm. Why do you think that he was he was okay with signing into law uh, a memorandum that was going to directly oppose him? Because given the fact that he's in his 70s, he's the incumbent, mm -hmm. he agreed to sign into law to make it okay for 30 plus year old individuals, young folks, to jump into the race? Um, <clears throat> so I think it was a, I don't want to say it was a miscalculation, right? But it was definitely a political year calculation. Signing that bill in May, right? Just about nine months to an election. Um, it was one of two things. They didn't expect young people to take it serious, to jump in, because one, we've never had that kind of platform, right? Okay. And two, even if you did, you did not have the popularity, you did not have the resources um, or the know-how technically um, in, in terms of Nigerian politics to make any in the any impact to have real significant impact that was the miscalculation in other words young people didn't have a shot didn't really have a chance so it was signed because they believed that okay right so you were sure they were not going to sign that two years before an election because that would be ample time for people to build whatever right right um, or try to build a structure um, but signing it you know a couple months to an election means well one, you definitely don't have the money incumbents have, especially from those who have raped the nation of its resources. Um, two, we're a nation, there's, there's this patriarchal, patriarchy, whatever system um, that we have in Nigeria where nobody believes that you being young, you know, you are qualified to lead, right? So, mm. so the main opposition was another guy who is what seventy six, Matiku, who had been running for president for the last twenty five years, mm. right? So, for someone who is that wealthy, who has been a two time vice president with all of the money he's amassed and acquired with his, you know, numerous years of experience, um, it didn't make any sense to think that any young person would rise to that level you know in a couple of months uh, so it was a very calculated um scheme i would say well let's just give this to them so that the young people will think we actually did something for them mm -hmm. but also understand that you know they have it, it will be too much of an uphill task for them to have any impact so fast forward to the law passes you you um Decide, make the decision to jump into the race yeah. and you don't have any political history you right. don't have any experience with it mm -hmm. you've been outside the country for years, 16 years. for 16 years mm -hmm. and what made you think that you had a shot well okay 
So the, the question about political experience, right, was very easy to, to counter, right? Um, anyone who's saying, well, you don't have political experience in Nigeria. Mm-hmm. Um, my, my counter was, well, the same political experience that everybody's complaining about is yeah. that the experience you're asking me to go get, right? So it's you can't complain that the system is not working because of our political leaders and so ask me to go get the same experience. It's like asking me to go learn how to be corrupt, go learn how to steal for me to be qualified to lead. That didn't make sense. So that was that was not an issue at all. Now, the issue of being outside for 16 years, so I, it's important to, um, it was important for me to make people understand. One, I was born in Nigeria and I spent the first 19 years of my life there. Mm-hmm. Being outside for 16 years also does not mean that I have been out of touch, right? I, I went back as often as I could, um, launched a scholarship fund in 2014. Um, you know, a board member of my brother's um, software development agency <clears throat> that teaches, you know, primary, secondary, and university students how to code. So I've been in touch, you know, right. and, um, stuff there. Um, the, the main issue was, um, as a no name, you, there was Nigeria has this affinity for name or brand recognition, right? Which, which right. is fair enough. Uh, so that was a bigger challenge, you know, having people understand um, or embrace you and your ideologies or policies. Um, without knowing who you are or just hearing you for the first time. Um, so um, the other two issues, oh, you were out for so long. I'm like, well, you know, being out was a positive because it made me understand several of the things that we classify as luxurious and pretty much just, yeah. you know, basic human needs. So access mm-hmm. to water, to education, to healthcare, to infrastructure, you know, um, those are human, basic human needs to power. Um, and living in Nigeria almost strips you off of that mentality, right? If you grow up in, a, in an environment where you only see power, you know, two hours a week, you believe that mm. that's the norm. Electricity. Right? Yeah. yeah. So uh, something funny happened. I was with my brother. We walked into this, um, we went to visit someone in an exclusive, you know, high net worth um, um, estate. And he, he he was sort of, like, he almost bragged that, oh, wow, you know, in this estate, you're guaranteed power 16 hours a day. And to him, that was a big deal, right? Because apparently in Nigeria, that's a big deal. I'm like, wait, you mean, Two thirds of you know the day, you're guaranteed power. The other one third, you don't get power at all. Like yeah. that's not luxurious. So that's it seems not... like incre- incrementalism or um, uh, it, mediocre has become norm. Exactly, it's accepted as yes. the standard. Yes. So uh, I don't know if it's mediocre, but it's like less definitely, than exactly, definitely, definitely below below average, below right. what you would expect, right? So for instance, power less than 70% of the time is considered, you know, luxurious as opposed to 24 Over here, hours. That's, yeah. 
nowhere near luxurious. Exactly. That's not even it's normal living standards. 24 right. hour electricity right. should be expected. Yeah. You know, so exactly. You constantly have to re reframe or, mm-hmm. you know, reset your mind, your whatever psyche to understand that, oh, when you see power, that means you charge your phones, you charge your power bank, mm-hmm. uh, you iron your clothes because you do not know when next you will see it. <laughs> oh okay, you know? so in order not to, because the problems that are um, in Nigeria are obvious. The things that we're dealing with, that they're dealing with there on ground are, are obvious. Yeah. So I want to make, I want to highlight what it takes to go from an average person or someone who's just working day to day. What does it take for that person to make a decision to run for president of a country? Okay. Knowing fully well that the problems that that they're, you're going to face, are, the previous people who have been in office have not been able to solve it. And right. these problems are enormous. Yeah. But have the previous people wanted to solve these problems? Great question. So, so for me, um, in fact, before I came out to run um, and after I told my family, um, I, had, I, wrote, I had to write a letter to myself. It was an eight-page letter mm-hmm. on why it was important and why now was the time to do that. And there were four, I classified them under four topics. One, there was this, this sense of hopelessness, right? Um, wherein, to my parents, there's a retired civil servants, right? Mm-hmm. Who looked up and paid pensions over two years. Now, uh, fortunately for them, you know, I'm one of six and five of us are outside. Five of us are in, on four continents, pretty much, right? Okay. Um, so once in a while, we all scrape up the little we can to send to them for maintenance. Now, but when you think about families that don't have that privilege, right? families that have to depend upon pensions, upon and, and the thing is, sometimes we forget that pensions actually is not a handout. It, it, this is money that has been, that's supposed to have been accrued for you over 30, 40 years yeah. from serving the public, right? Um, so when you deprive people of that source of livelihood and you start to think about how people are supposed to feed, uh, pay tuition for their children, um, health care, like basic survival, now you start to see how hopeless the situation of the everyday Nigerian becomes. Mm-hmm. And that was one. Um, the second one was the lack of urgency from our leaders, right? So I'm in tech. Um, and part of the reason why initially I had said I was going to work with someone to create a tech platform was an understanding that um, when we talk about the fourth industrial revolution and you know artificial intelligence and automation and all of that um there was this research that had come out i think in 2016 or 2017 that showed that actually the people who were programming or writing these machine languages were doing it with their biases right and the problem with that is um if you as a black man in america you all already understand racism right mm-hmm. um, so people of african descent uh, already the most vulnerable to discrimination globally, period. And this is versus other races. Now, mm-hmm. when you add this future that we're walking into, where, you know, um, according to projections by 2027, 
machine intelligence will surpass human intelligence, period, right? And at which point, the point of singularity um, will actually determine the future of humanity. Now, when you walk into a future like that, where we're not just now um, most vulnerable to discrimination from humans, but also from machines, now you're talking about a dystopian future that um, puts us at a huge disadvantage. And the problem with that is Africa is not doing anything. It's not doing enough in terms of fighting to make sure that they have a seat at the table for this fourth industrial revolution. That's one. Two, when you look at automation, Nigeria currently, you know, has over 30 million unemployed people. And this is in, a, in, a, in an age where you compete against other humans for jobs. Now, imagine when everything that has to do with human services, retail, you know, um, driving, you know, um, help, whatever it is, yeah. accounting, everything gets automated. Now, you're no longer just competing against other humans, you're competing against humans and against machines that can do the work of thousands of people at the same time. Now, um, for, for a continent that has the youngest population of people, that becomes detrimental. I, I keep telling people this, you know, we will be crying for 2018 when we are 2019, when we had 30 million unemployed, because we're walking into a future where five, six, seven, eight years from now, depending on how automation is handled, you would have 150 million unemployed people. And that number becomes even worse because as of 2018, Nigeria is now technically the poverty capital, um, has overtaken India as a nation with the, the largest population of people who live in extreme poverty. And that number is projected to grow till 2050, right? So the future is completely bleak, is dystopian for Africa if we don't do anything. Mm -hmm. And the problem is we don't have leaders that understand the importance of preparing the population for that future. Um, so it was, it was, and it still is pertinent that some of these um, resounding, uh, these alarms um, are talked about and are worked on and that we start to prepare our population um, for that future, which is why my candidacy was based on three things, education, entrepreneurship, and technology. Education, because I believe it helps us to understand our problems, but also to solve them or find solutions to them. Technology helps us to amplify the solutions and entrepreneurship helps us to monetize them. Um, and for, for, communities, sustainable communities of the future, these are the three most important things. That's why when people ask me about oil and natural resources, like that's the wealth of the past. Mm -hmm. The countries that would own the future or the communities that would own the future, are the ones that invest in their people, human capital development. As forward thinking and as innovative as your policies and your vision for the future seem, you were not successful in the election. You failed. Uh, I, I don't consider it as a failure, but if you, you know, you didn't win, the incumbent won. So 
where do you think one do you think that um you will do you think that the future for the country nigeria is bright or do you and then the second question is um where do you see your future in, uh, as far or what what are you going to do moving forward okay now about the future of nigeria uh, so as much as as much as you know we talk about all of our issues and all of our problems and it seems like we are headed to hell from here um i still believe in uh, i'm still a very optimistic person i still believe in, in the power of leapfrogging technologies and the power of um some radical radical change that saves us from you know an impending doom in the future do you think the ele- the election results were legitimate? Of course not. Why? I mean, dude, I even in my in the unit that I voted in, I wasn't even sure my vote counted. My own vote for myself. But let's leave that alone. <laughs> Everybody knows that you know the election was a sham. We all know that. Um, but that comes honestly, you know, um, elections. Uh, I mean, we live in a country where we're still reeling about you know, Russia impacting the <laughs> American elections from 2016, right? Um, so it's expected. So in the Nigerian elections being illegitimate and the process not being fair, it's expected that it was, um, that the election results will not be, illeg- it will not be legitimate or lawful. Do well, you think, what do you think went wrong? <laughs> What do I think when you should have asked? What do I think was right at all? Have a shorter list. <laughs> exactly. It's like, but from intimidation to they perfected the act of voter suppression. That's on one end. Mm-hmm. They also perfected the act of election rigging on the other end, which is why the main opposition is still in court today um, about the results. I don't know how that will turn out, but. We'll see what happens. Um, now, what we need to do as a nation, though, uh, I was hoping you would ask me a question about you, some of the things that I think the lessons learned, right? Yeah, take it wherever you wish. Okay. So there were several observations from the journey, you know, running for president. Um, in Nigeria, however, the biggest issue, sometimes I struggle between that and internal party politics, is the fact that young people don't understand the power they have as a unit to change the course of history in our nation. Um, we live in a nation where 70 to 75%, I want to say, of our population is under 35, right? Um, more than 50% of the electorate, I mean, of registered voters, are people between ages 18 and 35. Um, So you see how if we are a united front, only 3% of our population is over 65, mind you, right? Yeah. Um, We've only had maybe one leader, one president who was under 70. Jonathan. In recent times, you mean? Yeah. Because... In, uh, in the last 20 years. In the last 20 years, at yeah. least. Right. Um, 
So young people do not understand the power they have to change the course of history because all of our lives we have not seen young leaders, young dynamic leaders, one, two. Um, we have never really been able to um, activate that power as a collective. We're also misinformed or miseducated. Of course. I mean, we both grew up there. We went to school, went through the system, went to second, uh, primary, elementary, secondary education, and, and university. And the education there in Nigeria is not does not train people to be leaders or to um, get involved in civic exactly civic so, involvement. So I wouldn't say it doesn't train to be leaders, but it does not. There's no. Um, yes, yeah, civic education that sensitizes us to understand the importance of your value as a citizen and your responsibility in holding elected officials accountable. So we don't have that. Okay. So there seems to be like a need for reform in all sectors. You're talking about from education, from elementary to secondary level. We're also talking about um creating uh jobs you know to address the need for to keep these unemployed youth busy or train them on how to start their own businesses so there's there's a clear need but now since uh you lost and a lot of the other people who were running also lost the incumbent one he's a 70 plus year old man who has demonstrated the inability to understand what's going on with the country and he's basically leading this country in the wrong direction. Right. He's going to be in office for another four or five years. Four years. Four years. Where do you see this country? Where are we going? In the For you to have any impact politically, right? Um, this is what I would say. For any other person who's looking to run four years from now, um, and that includes myself, if I decide to do it again, um, it's important to start now to build out a structure. And by structure, it means finding this army of people who bind to your ideology, um, who, regardless of the odds, believe that the salvation of Nigeria supersedes any selfish gain or any individual gain um, and therefore take it upon themselves to make things happen, right? Um, so, what's the hope for the nation? Um, I, I don't believe in the current administration. The, the great thing about it is, you know, as long as there's life, there's hope, as they say. So you never know. They may turn a green leaf, a new leaf tomorrow. And, you know, all of a sudden, everything starts to work. Oh, that would be amazing if they, all of a sudden... Amazing. That would be amazing. Uh, what's his name again? Starts, Buhari starts to champion innovation and tech. That would be a new day. Well, I mean, he doesn't need to champion. He, he could champion it by finding people who understand it, because he doesn't. And we all know that. Um, so it's building out a structure that one empowers the young Nigerian to one believe in themselves, to to put food on the table. Because the most 
efficient, the most effective thing the last administration did with the last election was weaponizing poverty. Um, so they kept people in poverty. Um, I don't know if you know that analogy of, I don't know if it was true, but there's this story about Stalin, you know, um, plucking the feathers of a, a live chicken, and plucking and plugging and plugging until he completely stripped it. And then he put the chicken down, there was food somewhere and the chicken still went to eat the food, mm -hmm. right? Um, which means you can weaponize poverty and hunger in such a way that um, the people whom you oppress still will depend on you for their livelihood, right? And that's what happened where uh, campaign gimmicks included giving people bags of rice or granite oil or whatever, you know, food stuff for them to feel like, oh my goodness, if yeah. I don't take this food, one, I can't afford this now anyway, so I might as well just take this and, and live another day, live to see another day. Um, in which case, government uses the resources they're supposed to use to cater for the people uh, to bribe them for their votes, you know, to keep themselves there. Uh, so we need to break out of that. And the only way to do it is coming up with initiatives that employ young people, employ people so that they can put food on the table um, and sensitize them. I hate to use that word, but I, I can't find a better word. To understand that an administration or that you know, a group of people who are able to take care of you now will still prioritize you in their administration, right, would do better for you and your livelihood than an administration that has not um, prioritized your well-being. Um, so it is an uphill task, it's an uphill battle. Yes, um, yeah, and and in in a part of sensitizing the youth or sensitizing or teaching the youth the, what power that they have innately is. Uh, is what this podcast is also doing. My goal is to inspire young people to understand what they are capable of. Your story is a unique one in, in the fact that you could have just had a nine to five job. Yeah. You could have chosen to just, you know, live out your dreams. You've been in the US for 16 years. You could just, uh, work, make some money and settle down and live your live a regular life, live a regular happy life. Yeah. But you chose to live outside the box. Dare yourself to pursue a dream that by all by most standards is wild, okay? And out there. So, I want you to speak to a, a young person out there who's working a 9 to 5, who's uh doesn't, you know, barely making ends meet. I want you to speak to them and tell them what inspired you to take on a journey that big. Hmm. Okay, so this is the first time I'm saying this, but um, I've been trying to chronicle my experience around this journey. And when I, for, for a while, for actually months, I thought about, uh, suits a name, you know, uh, a name that would suit this entire experience. Mm -hmm. um, and played around with a bunch of stuff. But I think I came down to one, 
Was it hope and change? Hell no. <laughs> <laughs> we all fell for hope and change. I really, I believed in hope and change. Yeah, in yeah. Obama. No, I mean, I love hope and change, but that would be too easy to change. <laughs> <laughs> That's such a good thing. Um, I called it define. Define? Yeah, to define. Okay. Define. Oh, to defy. D-E-F-Y. D-E-F-Y. Yeah. Got it. Uh, so technically like define odds and whatever mm-hmm. and the reason why i chose that is um we are we're conditioned sometimes um, to to fit a box right what we call our comfort zones what society expects of you what you you know, consciously or subconsciously expects of yourself. Um, But in most cases, I've realized that that box sometimes does not see the bigger picture, Mm -hmm. right? Sometimes it does, but the the way we we fashion ourselves in that bigger picture becomes a little different. For me, everything I do right now is about creating a legacy that posterity will be proud of, right? Um, Making sure that I can contribute to what I call an amazing Nigeria is important to me because I wanna make sure that my children are proud to be called Nigerians, right? Um, I wanna make sure that 10, 15, 20, 50, 100,000 years from now, you know, when you talk about Nigeria and its growth, that the name Chike Okewu is somewhere in the annals of history as someone who contributed positively to the growth or to the well-being of Nigeria or whatever it be called in the future. Um, now, because of that, you know, for instance, um, Abraham Lincoln is not here today. Neither you or I, nor I saw him. But you cannot talk about America and America's history without calling certain names, right. Washington, you know, all of those people. And those are people who lived their lives because um, the bigger picture was much more than they were, it was much more than their existence. Um, and you cannot, you cannot um, create such an impact by living in the comfort of your comfort zone. You cannot. Right, so a nine to five will not do that for me. It may do that for somebody else, right? Um, the norm does not create that. There's a reason why it's called extraordinary, right? Because there's an ordinary and there's that extra mile you have to go to get to the extra, right? Um, and for me, that's that's the bigger picture, it's about um impact positively impacting human lives in such a way that it becomes a model for other people to emulate so you're advising kids young folks like us people in their 20s and their 20s it's not just okay to work a nine to five and pay your bills it's important to live for a bigger purpose yes it's important to give your time give your life towards creating a legacy. I tell people, right, if your dream does not scare you, it's not big enough. And the thing about it is, it's a dream. 
So it could be as big as you want it to be, right? If you don't wake up in the morning and when you think about your dream or where you're going, you're not scared, right? People have not called you delusional. It's not big enough. It's not life impacted. Well, let me not say it's not life impacted. Let's keep it at it's not big enough. And here's why. Um, I say if you just like to say if you aim for the skies, you you may end up at the treetop. If you aim for beyond the skies, you may end up at the skies. Right? Mm-hmm. That's the same thing. If your dreams or your goals are too big, right? But technically delusional. I love it when people say that, dude. You have to be delusional, right? Um, it means that the minimum that I can achieve. Would supersede the norm for other people. There, mm-hmm. because of that, right? So, how do you address the fact that your income is not guaranteed? Your, you know, there are so many things that you're putting yourself at risk for in pursuit of a legacy, in pursuit of this grandiose dream. Yeah. How do you prepare yourself for that? Um, so think about it this way, right? You, you have a goal, you're standing in front of a, a, a thick forest. There's a path that you can follow. Everybody follows that because it's easy. You're not encountering anything on the way. You know that, you know, when you get to a certain point and the route turns left, you make a left wherever so it's easy it's comfortable you can do that now you decide that instead of taking that route i'm going to create mine the challenge with that is you never know what you're going to come across Mm -hmm. you can meet animals you can meet anything you just never know what you will come across But the thing about that is you become a pioneer. You shape your own destiny, technically. As Shakespeare would say, you become a master of your own fate. Right. Right? Um, If money becomes... Was that Shakespeare? I thought that was Ernest Henley. Okay, whosoever Ernest Henley. That's my favorite (laughs) poem. The last verse says... It matters not how straight the gate, how charged with punishments the scroll. I am the master of my fate. Okay, now, so I am the captain of my soul. No, but, but then there's another quote that says, men are masters of their own fate. The fault lies not in the sky, but in our own hands. Okay. I think that's Shakespeare. I may be wrong, but I've, I've held that quote since high school, actually. Um, so... The, the thing with that is you create that path that whether any other person takes it or not is yours, period. So sometimes while comfort and money um, becomes a driving force for many other people, right? There's absolutely no reason why it cannot just be a part of the bigger dream. You know what I mean? So there's no saying that that grandiose dream you have should not include wealth creation. And it may take longer 
just because it's not the same path as other people have have capped out for themselves. Mm-hmm. But the rewards at the end, it's like high risk. It's the same thing in investment, right? Usually high risk, you know. Uh, high risk, high reward. Exactly. You know, carries higher rewards than. When you lose, you lose big. But when you win, you win massive. Exactly. And same you, thing. Yeah. Same thing. And then the other thing is you cannot, you, the other mistake a lot of people make is compare themselves to people they think are their peers or people they think are where they are. Mm-hmm. You cannot do that. So you're saying don't don't compare yourself? No. It stifles your, your passion, it stifles your vision, it stifles everything. So focus on the journey focus and run your own race. Yes. Every, there are no two people who were created to be the same. Right. So if I'm saying, well, you know, hey, that's fine for Namdi has bought house. Namdi has done this. And look at me, I have not done it. Right. That's it. Right there and then, right. without knowing it, you have completely You've um, defeated uh, yourself. Exactly. Yeah. Eliminated that vision. Because from that point onwards, you're thinking, how do I catch up to where Namdi is? Because that becomes the yardstick mm-hmm. you used to measure yourself. You can do that. But it's hard not to do that because the whole society is set up where we're we're constantly have to we're pitting like pit against each other, we're competing against each other. Especially in a country like Nigeria, you find that very common in poor communities yeah. where you have this uh, scarcity mindset and crabs in a barrel. Everywhere, even here. Yeah. So where where do you see how do you force how do you get somebody to foster that mindset that you're bigger than your current situation if you push yourself if you think outside of the box you can create a legacy a life that will so that will blow your mind well so you know the reason why um when you talk about legacies there are a few people you talk about because it's not meant for everyone Mm -hmm. it's not right so um there are reasons why people are called outliers right really good book Malcolm Godwell some people have disputed a few things in there but it's a good book it's a good book to read yeah right Um, you cannot think yourself as an so I wrote this piece um, called the five types of black people and I think it's just five types of humans um, where there are different classes, you know, you have the outliers, you have the high achievers, um, you have the, uh, there are five of them, whatever. And the point I was trying to make is society, um, especially for black people, mm-hmm. appreciates the high achievers, not the outliers. So the high achievers are the people who go through a system and get to the apex of okay. achievements, right? They stayed so, within the box. They followed yes, the standards. They, they get to the They end. did what yeah. they were supposed to. You go to the Ivy League schools, you graduate, you get into, you know, Goldman Sachs or JP Morgan and you get to the apex of it, mm-hmm. you know, vice president or president or whatever, right? And everybody claps like, oh, you're the 1%. Right. Nothing wrong with that. The difference is, there's always a glass ceiling there because the people who have set up the system is has have designed it to ensure that you don't get past a set level. Mm. But the outlier is different. 
which is why till tomorrow, as much as people criticize Tyler Perry, mm-hmm. I call Tyler an outlier because that is one man who carved his own path against the most influential, most powerful, you know, whatever system in America, Hollywood. I have a lot of respect for Tyler Perry. Yes. So I don't need to love his, you know, Madea movies or whatever. Right. Some of them I did enjoy, I'll tell you that. But he understood his path. Right. And honestly, I'll be shocked if in another five years, that may be even too far. Well, history Tyler will remember not, him very, very well. I'm not even talking Fair. about history. Now I'm talking about if Tyler does not join the Billion Dollar Club. It's very possible. Yeah. You know, he has a studio. That's a, ma- that's a yeah. huge thing in itself. Alex and people underestimate it. Over 700 million today. Wow. Now, compare that to people like Spike Lee, mm-hmm. right? Who had been in the game 20 years before Tyler came on, right? Um, Spike Lee, I would call a high achiever, right? He had the critically acclaimed movies. You know, he was, you could not talk about black directors without, you cannot even till today. Directors, period. Period. Yeah. You know, without talking about Spike Lee. But if you, if you look at Spike Lee's worth today, Spike is probably not more is not worth more than fifty million. I, I get it. I was really disappointed with the that is he's just now getting an Oscar over these years. He right. just got an Oscar this year. Yeah, for black And I thought to myself, and then when he was celebrating, yeah, I share in his his celebration, his joy. But I was like, wow, bro. After after all these years, this is it. Like there should be more. There should, That's my point. You know, like so, d- d- you're too big for this. So Tyler does not need an Oscar. No, exactly. For for what you, the heck is an Oscar compared to exactly like that, this is this is all you worked hard for? Right, right. You get my point. So it's is that so? And I hate to use this, but Tyler and 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 Spike are, the, are two very very distinct oh, yeah examples of. Outliers and high achievers. You know what I mean, right? So, so yeah. you're saying Tyler Perry is willing to step out of the box and yeah. not bet? He did. He did. He bet yeah. on himself. Yes. But Spike Lee just kept knocking on that door, Spike knocking Lee, on that door. Spike Lee Let me in. Through. Keep Spike knocking exactly. on the door. Spike Lee like, went through what he thought was a safe path. Yes. Yeah, like the way you're supposed to go, the way they planned out for you. And he did an amazing job, but there's always there's only so much it like caps off. Well the goal line kept keeps getting moved. Yeah. But the thing is, like your your point is you don't have to keep knocking on that door for the powers to be to let you in. Create your own own Mm -hmm. path. Create uh, uh, um, begging to be included. Yeah. You know, to to, to sit at the table. Get, get your own damn table and invite the people you want to. I mean, it's a symptom of a larger issue. When it comes yeah. to black people in America, I think that's their biggest problem. They keep begging the white man to open the door validate. for them or to validate in a system that was never created for them for to them. begin with. I think that for black people to be successful in this country, they need to create their own. Create your own and support your own. But that's so I think the biggest the biggest failure, for the lack of a better word, of you know black people, is not having connected to Africa. Yeah, I agree. And 
cashing into that. There's so much potential. There's still so, so much, much potential on that continent. So and they sat back and waited for Chinese, but, the Chinese to come and take over. But to them, they see Africa's inferior without understanding the opportunities there. Meanwhile, you know, other races are cashing in on all of its natural resources, on its human capital, on any and everything they can lay their hands on. But our people in the diaspora have refused to do that, shamefully. Well, you know, I don't know where it stems from, if it's like education or conditioning or- Conditioning. Or they think it's conditioning over the years. Like the, I always think about the Maya Angelou poem, The Cage Bird. It's like, or it's like when you have a bird that's been in, that's lived in a cage for so long, and you bring them out of the bird, out of the cage, they don't know how to fly. You gave me that exact analogy exactly one year ago. It, <laughs> really? Yeah, you did. Go on. But the, the, the that is so true. Where you can liberate the man, but you, if you haven't liberated his mind, mm -hmm. he's still in jail. He's still locked up. And a lot of people are still locked up because they think that in that they have to follow the safe path. Yeah. They have to go through and collect degrees and then apply for a job and hope for someone to give them permission to be who they are. Yeah. I argue that no, if you want whatever it is that you think that you can be, start today and start working towards it. You, you're just opening a Pandora's box that we can close here all night. <laughs> all night. Um, but the point is, you know, I believe that every, just like you were, you were like, you're pointing out right now, every single person has what they need within themselves to be what they want to be. The question is, um, one, how big is that vision, is that dream? to how, um, how passionate is the hustle and the grit to pursue that vision. Mm -hmm. um, strategy is important as well in carving out you know, a pathway to get there. Um, and three, you know, um, how patient are you to make it happen without the distractions that will come you know, from society, from within yourself, you know, the doubt and the doubts and everything that life throws in your way, pretty much, you know, to dissuade you from uh, pursuing, you know, that vision. So, yeah. And as they say, you know, do not discount any man mm -hmm. until he's dead. Right. You know, um, as long as there is life, you just never know, you know what may happen so well taking the step you know what it's like to step out of the box and bet on yourself um there are challenges obviously oh, huge. there are huge challenges uh, speak on that hmm so so i'm a huge proponent of entrepreneurship right um, but lately i began to think that for some people, it may not just be it. Mm -hmm. um, and, and that is the way I'm beginning to see a lot of things, which is why I said not everyone is going to be an outlier. Not everyone is going to leave a legacy that 
generations upon generations remember um, just because we're all wired differently just like these fingers are not all the same right everyone has a role they play in society um when we talk about the challenges of you know pushing through um 99 of the time is a lonely place mm-hmm. right it's an extremely challenging place to be um, partly because 99% of the people around you will not understand what you are doing mm-hmm. period right um those there will be those who would just dis- try to dissuade you from it not because they are jealous some will be but because many of them don't see the path they're also they reflecting their insecurities yes Right. They're, they're, um, some of them are genuine and they're trying to protect you. Yes, yes, you know. Uh, but, you know, you have to remember that that vision, that thing that you see, is not for everyone to see. Um, so it's a, you have to understand self-love right? um, in order to, to help you push through. You have to find the motivation and the encouragement within yourself 99% of the time to push through um so it's a very 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 challenging place to be in very 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 lonely place to be in and sometimes people think lonely means there are no people around you no you can still be in the midst of a crowd and be lonely Oh man, that rings so true. I used to share with Ashley what it was like when you're you. I, I was in San Diego and I've I had a lot of friends mm-hmm. who would go out to hang out, but even while we were hanging out, I was I, I still felt alone. Right. Yeah. There's that feeling when you you feel like you're not on the same page with these exactly. people, and these people are on a different. They're they're living their life yeah. and you're they happy seem for them. They seem successful, yeah. but we're you're it's not, not it's yeah. you're not aligned. Yeah. So I tell people I know a lot of people, but I don't have a lot of friends. And that's true, right? Um so it's it's self-awareness is extremely important in in this sort of thing. And for people who do not have it, it becomes very, very difficult. Right? Many people drop out. You know, they end up go getting a job. Um, some people end up um, just burying that entire thing. Right? Some people just know this is not for me. Period. They don't even venture. They're like, you see, this nine to five will do it till we die. <laughs> You know, and there's nothing wrong with that. It's not saying that that's wrong. No, um, all of our paths are different, right? And it's understanding who you are, where you are, and your ability to push through. Um, so, one is important to surround yourself. Find find someone, an accountability partner, okay. who does not need to know or understand where you are, right? But there has to be that understanding that, listen, I don't need you to validate this passion, this vision, this dream. No, I just need you to be a listening ear. Mm. You need that.
not feel judged because you will get a lot of that. So as uh, so in addition to being very self-aware, yes. you also need an accountability partner. You need someone for your sanity's sake. You yes. need someone like a sounding board. Yes. Definitely. You need definitely. someone who's non-judgmental who remains supportive. Yes. Um, you need to, you know, once in a while, if not every day, remind yourself of that vision of the need to um, stay true to it. Sometimes there, there may be detours. Detours sometimes may happen. Um, and there's nothing wrong with that. Um, the, the one thing that I have learned that I'm still learning is to um, see the good in every situation. So what I call a win-win situation for everyone, as opposed to a win-lose, right? So you're not playing to win so that somebody else loses, but rather how can we all win? Win. Right? So you're operating from an abundance mindset. Okay. That's another way to look at that. Yeah. Um, because that helps. Talk about abundance, abundance mindset and scarcity mindset. Um, so I'll go back to the win-win and win-lose, mm-hmm. right? Um, we, we grew up in societies or in communities where, you know, um, we're thought to win. And what that means to you is for you to win, it means somebody else is losing. losing. Win at all costs. Yes, right? Um, now, the problem with that is, now, when things don't go your way, you consider yourself the loser. Mm-hmm. As opposed to trying to find other ways that you could win or other ways that other people could win from the same situation. Um, so, um, I'm trying to find a good example. Well, what on that on that thought, I have always believed in myself as my my philosophy or my mantras are empathy and service. Empathy in the sense that I'm genuinely happy when people around me are successful. Right. And if I if it's in my ability to support you to be successful, I will do that. Mm-hmm. And um, now some people take advantage of that, and some people appreciate me for that. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't matter because in the long run, I'm happy because I helped you. Right. Um, and I'm, I'm capable of living, of seeing your suffering or seeing your happy, celebrating your wins with you and also sharing in your pain. And when it comes to service, I also believe that every single one of us needs to devote time into serving others. Yeah. Doing whatever we can to help other people around you when especially if you are successful or if you are given more you need you have a responsibility to give to others yeah um just coming back to that right so um in my study of youth disconnection and trying to find solutions um, to um curbing you know youth poverty opportunity divides you know of that um, we have developed a model called the Heroes Model. 
And the hero's model um, is crucial for youth development, and, uh, engagement um, of children and youth. And HEROES is an acronym for heritage, education, relationships, opportunities, entrepreneurship, and service. This is a nonprofit you set up? Um, so this is part of my research under Colin Powell. Oh, okay. But the hero's model now became the, the basis on which Real Life was okay. formed and okay. Startup 52 as well, right? So in designing programs, we ensured that the six parts were present there. So right? and and Real Life is your nonprofit, and Startup 52 is a the tech accelerator. A tech accelerator, yeah. right? So. Heritage, it's important to make people feel like they belong, right? You know, that inclusivity uh, gives people ownership to the success of whatever thing you're working on. Uh, education, life is all about learning, you know, learn everything you can. Relationships, you know, um, relationships make or mar people, whether you like it or not, right? Um, there are so many defining relationships in our lives that help to shape who we are. Um, opportunities, you know, making sure that in every instance or scenario that you are creating opportunities for yourself, but also for others mm. to grow. So if I meet you, um, just like you talked about, like, what can I do to help you grow? Like, who do I know that can help amplify right. your success? Um, entrepreneurship, you have to monetize whatever skill sets or whatever it is you grow. But then the most important one is service. Partly because service humanizes us, right? Service helps to break down some of the um, isms, you know, bigotry, um, that that the biases that we grow up with, you know, whether subconscious or unconscious or intentional, whatever, right? When you and technically service becomes a part of you know diversity and inclusion and its benefits and empathy, like you talked about, um, it humanizes you to start to see people as more humans as opposed to being different from you. Right, so yes, I'm a Christian, um, but not all, just like media tries to paint, not all, you know, Muslims are bad right. or are terrorists, right? Or yes, I'm Igbo, and not all Yorubans are cowards, or, you know, whatever all those, those isms, those biases, Trumps. yes, that we end up growing up with. Service helps you to start to break some of those things down. Uh, empathy like you talked about so that's extremely important so when we talk about this win-win situation it's how can i win and you win you as win, well right you there's know? there's so much for everybody exactly. there's plenty for everybody there's room for everybody to grow i think that in I, I, you know back in the day china instituted a law where they limited um one baby per family yes. And I think that they were operating from the standpoint or from the perspective that the resources are finite and in order for them to succeed or for them to survive as a species, that they needed to control their birth rate. But what they didn't understand is that technology was coming right. and technology is, is this, this thing that literally multiplies exponentially yes. 
our ability as human beings. Right. And what people in the era of like, uh, you know, the the Graham Bells or the people, you know, the 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 the, the flight brothers, the Wright brothers who right. developed the plane back in the day, they didn't recognize what it took, what it what was going to happen in the future. Right. So they could only see the future based on their pers- on their present circumstances. Today, with technology, we can see that there's so much, there's so much abundance for everybody. So much, so much. There's, there's no reason to tear down somebody else or take from somebody yeah. else's because there's enough. That's why, you know, I, I worry when people see technology as being bad. Yes, there will be people with evil intentions that would, you know, um, use technology to do bad. But for me, I think, you know, technology is net positive, right, mm-hmm. for humanity. And that's why I worry as well when people scream, oh, Nigeria's population, da 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 da, we need to find a way to control population. I'm like, no, you don't. The bigger problem we have is how do we educate our populace, not how do you control it? Right. Because you're walking into a future where your population becomes an asset mm-hmm. for you, then a liability, right? So we should be talking about how do we. You know, I don't know if I should be saying this publicly, but how do we buy up like Chad and Niger? <laughs> we need more space. <laughs> we need more space to accommodate, you know, uh, population growth, as opposed to how do we stop families from having, you know, children that they do need. Um, and that's because, like I talked about before, human capital development becomes an investment into the future mm. um, that we're walking into. Um, as opposed to, well, natural resources we're depleting. No, no, no. We get to the point where everything you consume would not even come from nature anymore. Ex- it would right. be lab made. Lab produced. You know? Right. There's so um, much that's going to be so made. Much. And, um, and people still don't see it. People still of think that there's not. limited resources. Yeah, no. But I, 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 most people, if you've been plugged into technology and where it's going, you understand that. What's coming is bigger than people can yep. even imagine. I think the future of humanity is the bionic man. And, and you know, that's why I'm really um, optimistic about the situation in Nigeria and Africa at large. I think that when, and I've had this discussion with you, I think that when e-commerce becomes more mature and, uh, it, well, first of all, internet. Once the internet becomes really, really accessible, like, mobile phone became what was in the early 2000s you will see people stepping out of poverty because they now can earn their own living Dude. they don't have to wait for pensions from the government Dude, 10 years ago did you have did, did we know any job that was called social media manager exactly Media that wasn't even a, that wasn't even a thing. Of course, it was not. YouTube wasn't even of course, YouTube, well, YouTube wasn't even was as there, mature. It, as, it was it was cat right? videos exactly. on YouTube. Now, so here's the thing, though, um, when we talk about the future of the internet, especially in Africa, uh, my only worry is that the person who provides that access would own all of that data. Excuse me. <laughs> Um, and owning all of that data means they own all of the innovations and technology and you know 
brilliance or creativity that will come from I don't I don't believe that because yeah. Google is doing that now and they there's so much data they can't own all of it Dude. and when Facebook. blockchain becomes a thing Facebook mm-hmm. uh, there was an article I was reading two days ago maybe even yesterday and Zuckerberg is sitting on you know the most the largest collection of data of what people intend to do I get it. Google probably has more. No. But but my my what people intend to do. Mm-hmm. But here's my argument. I think that uh yeah, they have the they have monopoly on that data now because people don't even understand what data is and how how they should be actually they should be fighting to for um to intellectual property on their own data. Yeah. Like they should not be you should Facebook should pay me for my data. Exactly. That's uh, that. You know, I sat down one day. I'm like, why don't you have the class actions? Yeah, it's coming. It's coming I'm though. Waiting. There's no question that it's coming. It's gonna happen. Yeah. Uh, when people like Elizabeth Warren is mm-hmm. talking about talking about breaking up Facebook, that's just the beginning of it. That song is gonna get louder because it's obvious. There's no reason why one company should have so much monopoly on data that does not belong to them and the people who are generating that data they don't even get a penny from it right Mm -hmm. i think that's what we should i I, I wouldn't worry so much about breaking them up i think what we should be talking about is why is it that technically i am working for facebook and not getting paid yeah basically Right, so everything I put on Facebook, from my intentions to my friends to my pictures to my um, uh, posts to whatever, mm. Facebook owns them, and Facebook monetizes all of that. Facebook can easily tell you what they think I'm trying. I'm in the market for because of my searches, mm-hmm. right? And they can monetize that and charge advertisers to push advertisement ads to me, right? And I am not getting a dime from that. Right. That's what we should be mad about. I don't care about breaking them up. No, I want to know that every time you use my data, I am making a check. Right. Now that I will jump behind. Anybody who says that right now, they have my vote, even though I can't vote in America. But that debate is coming. It's, it's definitely coming. The reason it's not coming is people time. are not informed. They don't even know they have that power. So. Um, but anyway, anyway we did be able to yeah, we're, 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 <laughs> we're splintered off. But yeah. the the point comes down to this: your story, your where you're going is amazing. You believe in yourself. You believe in your ability to face challenges. You put yourself and you expose yourself to different situations that challenge you. And I'm a core believer in if you want to grow, you have to challenge yourself and place yourself if you if you identify a fear a thing that you're not comfortable doing just go and do it that's precisely where you become better that's where you become you grow because you've exposed yourself and you are a living example of that because you're putting those things you're putting your words into action and my goal out of this podcast is that you impact that knowledge which is one be self-aware. Two, bet on yourself. Sure. Three, uh, 
dream big and go after your dreams. Yep. Um, it's not always rosy. It's not going to be an easy yeah, journey. Yeah. You're going to be face task. Uh, uh, you're going to face. You're going to be fa- facing challenges. But those challenges are what make you. That they, they build character and they they make you better. They write the script. You know. Yeah. So that that's what I want you to highlight on. So yeah, I, I think you hit all the um, hit all the points on the head, right? Um, I'll just add this to it. You know, like they say, love your neighbor as yourself. Mm-hmm. Many times we have not sat down to ask ourselves what that actually means. It means that you can only give what you have. So the love you give out is the measure of love you have for yourself. Many of us don't invest in loving ourselves, which is why many times our relationships don't work out. What does it mean to love yourself? Good question. What does it mean to love yourself? Is that self-awareness? It's self-appreciation. It's understanding who you are um, and loving yourself for it all. Right. Working on the things you can work to change to be better, um, the flaws and all, whatever, and accepting those that you can't change. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, it's there was something we we were brought up to to know. It's you're not better than anyone, and nobody is better than you. Mm-hmm. What you put in is most often what you get out. So spend time, just like you talked about. Um, it's like building muscle, right? Um, if every day you go and you lift five pounds, <laughs> that's all you, you would get to. But if there's that, <laughs> we need to step up our morning exercise. Oh <laughs> we can't just be doing five minutes at college. <laughs> like, wow, we're losing weight. <laughs> But if there's that incremental, right? So today you do five, you lift five pounds, tomorrow it's 10. You know, next tomorrow is 15. That's how you grow muscle. Like it hurts sometimes. I was just telling her, my calves hurt so much because I haven't run in like almost a year. And since I came here, I've been trying to do the running thing. Going up the stairs becomes a problem because your calves are hurt. But, you know, that's how you extend muscle and that's how you build muscle. Same thing with life applications, right? So just like you talked about, when you have a fear and you face it, you know, um, you, you, you grow some, um, what do you call it? Mind muscle, yeah. I guess, that allows you, you know, to do it another day and another day and another day. Um, so, so you, you basically sought out uh, interviews and meetings because I'm trying to f- picture you on your daily ba- daily day to day in New York right okay. Okay. how did you get these meetings how did you do your TED talk how did you um, do the things that you did that stacked, not even, that stacked up your resume uh, challenge yourself. So one thing, one thing with me is um, I don't 
Excuse me. I don't so much value accolades. They don't mean much to me. It's like, ah, okay, we're moving on to the next thing, right? Um, but what I did was, and you know, don't do this. I guess you can try this, but at some point you graduate from it. Um, I realized earlier on that when you reach out to people as yourself, they don't take you, the value is not as much as if someone is doing it on your behalf, mm. right? Yeah. So if, if you have like an assistant or an agency or whatever, say, hey, okay, I see you guys have this conference coming on. Um, here's a speaker that you must have because of this, 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 this. They'll be more inclined to bringing you on than you saying, hey, I realize you guys are having this, whatever. Um, would you bring me on as a speaker? So you're saying in a, rather than re reaching out to these people, have somebody else reach out on your behalf. Use an alias. Use hire somebody to do it you don't need to hire somebody you just someone do it yourself and yourself you are your own else. assistant oh that is interesting wow why awesome. do you why do you think that is because people there's that it makes them feel like it yeah like you're yeah, actually important exactly. social proof yes social validation validation that yeah. you're right. not just yes. a regular person so when i email ashton say hey you know i realize uh, see this conference is coming on um uh, I would love to suggest a speaker whom I think you must have, and here's why. And you list your bio, blah, blah, blah. You know, feel free. What I always do is, um, if you would love to speak to him directly, here's his contact. <laughs> and then, so, Kevon, right, who was my co-founder for the nonprofit, at Begna said, dude, uh, let me use your name to send this email. And he's like, okay, cool. So just create another email, whatever, um, and send out those emails using some other person's name. And you name. get a response. Yeah. Mm, that that way, if they respond to the email, you get the email because yeah. you're controlling the email. <laughs> if they want to call, they can call and speak to you directly. So I got a lot of speaking engagements that way, paid speaking engagements as well that way. Um, several you know whatever and then from there you just build up from it such that people now start to reach out to you you like hey you know when you get a speaking engagement how long does it take you to prepare for it it depends on what you're speaking about do you have freedom to choose what you're speaking about or they tell you ahead of time um so some could tell you okay this is the theme of the conference oh, okay. you know prepare something around that thing yeah others could say hey just whatever you think would be inspirational motivational da, 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 um, just do i also realized anyway that i tend to prefer fireside chats like i prefer to have conversations AMAs. it's know? easier it's yeah. more organic than when you're yeah. teaching when, I, I also find that when, speech. yeah, when mm -hmm. you're giving a speech, it feels like you're teaching people or you're forcing your ideas on people, so it doesn't come off natural. Well, for me, speeches or keynotes are more like, you know, you're looking at the audience to see if they're following you, to see if you can follow any facial reactions. Yeah, I think you have to be in the excited. moment and you have to be able to connect exactly. with everyone and adjust what yes. you're, you're going to say for according feedback. to yeah. that. Yeah, yeah, and 
Yeah. But you know, fireside chat is is a conversation. So if they're not paying attention, at least you're sitting. You, you automatically know right exactly. away. So yeah, that works. Always works. Um, at this point now, it's you know talking to different, you know, speaking bureaus or agencies to see who best fits, you know, what you're looking for and going with that. But yeah, you initially you have to cultivate that, you know, whatever. I remember you were doing a lot of that using LinkedIn. So your advice that LinkedIn is an effective tool to reach out to people, um, to so network. I haven't had business cards in seven, eight years, maybe mm. even longer. And partly because I realized that um, with business cards, by the time I get home, I forget who you are. You look at the card. And you can barely remember, especially if you go to, if you speak at a conference that has a lot of people mm-hmm. and you get home, you go home with 100, 200 business cards, you definitely are not going to remember all those people at all, right? Uh, so for me, and I'm not the type of person who will make a note, some people make notes on business cards, I'm not that person. Mm-hmm. So 99% of the time, whenever I collect business cards, they go to waste, they end up in the trash on some whatever. Um, LinkedIn became effective because what it did for me was, hey, you know, let's collect, let's connect on LinkedIn. Um, the moment I pull you up, I look through whatever. If you have a picture, even better, because then I can put a face to it. And I send you the request. When you accept it, LinkedIn sends you a notification that, you know, right. connect there. So you go back and you remember Exactly. Mm-hmm. Sometimes during when you're sending the request, you send that little note. Hey, you know, we met at this, blah, 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 blah. So you remember. So for me, LinkedIn became a lot more effective in connecting with people and following mm-hmm. up than business cards. Um, and then the other thing I did with LinkedIn was um, I used it to source for people I was looking for. So if I wanted to connect with VCs in New York, I'll just search venture capitalists in New York and it comes up with a whole lot of names. Okay. Just send requests, blah, 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 all of that. One or two will accept. Yeah. And like, hey, we have this event, you know, I need investors. Would you love to be, you know, a judge or an investor at the event and blah, blah, blah. Most of it will say yes and then gradually build a connection with them. So LinkedIn has been effective. I haven't used it in the last year, partly because of my election. Um, because of the election, um, I shared a bunch of stuff on there and I connected with a bunch of people as well. Um, but I haven't used it as effectively as I had prior to the yeah, uh, campaign. So you've heard it from the horse's mouth. Chica uh, has shared with us a lot of insightful and practical um, steps that you can take to bet on yourself. The number one thing is to be self-aware, understand what you're comfortable with, what you're capable of, what you want to do and what you don't want to do. The second thing is to believe in yourself, believe in your ability to take on and step outside of the box, regardless of what other people's opinions may be, you believe in yourself 
And the second, the third thing is to find mentors, find supportive, it's, you know, a sounding board, someone who supports you, who cares about your vision and is willing to give you give you feedback, whether positive or critical. Uh, the other third, the fourth thing there is to network, network massively because the internet is such an uh, you know, amazing tool that it's connecting us as a, you know, globally. I don't know. It doesn't matter what you're looking for. If you're looking for a videographer, you're looking for a venture capitalist, you're looking for anybody across the globe, 7 billion people, you can reach them by just sending them a message on LinkedIn. So everybody, don't matter what uh, sector you're in, business or educational or political, you should have a LinkedIn page and it should be an active LinkedIn page. And, you know, take advantage of this tool. The internet is here for us. So take advantage of it. And, um, you know, I want to summarize this and I want to ask a final question. And that question is... So I want to summarize by the final question here is just tell us one thing that you want to leave with the audience. Uh, It doesn't, you know, just any general tip, any general um, knowledge base or advice or practicality, whatever it is, leave us with something, something. (sighs) Let's see. Um, there's a saying that the graveyard is the um, is the wealthiest, I guess, place when it comes to ideas because a lot of people go to their graves with ideas they never worked mm, on. Yeah. Right? Um, this is what I say. There are two classes of people. One, the people who plan you know, their work, and then they jump into something or they gain experience before jumping. And there are those who just jump in and learn on the job. This is my advice to you. Just start. Every single person has something that they want to do, but there's something that they're working on or something that, you know, whatever. Just start. That's it. Just like Nike would say, just do it. Do it. If you have a plan, start working on it. If you don't have a plan, create a plan. But start today to work on something that you intend um, to build out for yourself or whatever. Just push through. All right. That was uh, that you've heard it right there. Um, Take a step into the direction of what you would like to live your life in. Just start. Just do it. You know, there are, you're always going to have those self-limiting beliefs, those doubts in your head. But if you want to live an extraordinary life, a life that is worth remembering, a legacy that lives on way after you're gone, mm-hmm. now is the time to take that step yeah. uh, and challenge yourself to be better, to live for a larger purpose. I appreciate you for coming on to the show and sharing on sharing your experience and your advice. It's very valuable. Once again, um, 
It's me, Namdi. You've been listening to Chike Ukebu, and you've been listening to Ashley. And uh, I hope you guys have learned something from this. And thank you for tuning in. See you next time.